What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Carter Worth, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. The countdown is on to Apple's big event tomorrow. Will it be enough to convince enthusiasts the world over to trade up, even in the middle of a trade war? Also ahead, activist investor Elliott Management taking a $3 billion stake in AT&T, saying ixnay on the M&A. They see a 60% upside potential. Traders take a second look. And Boeing pausing stress tests on its new 777 after an issue is discovered. We've got the details ahead. But we begin with a big bank breakout on the day the S&P 500 ended in the red. Check out these moves from Citi, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, all firmly in the green. But wait a minute. It was just a few days ago that rates were plunging, yield curves inverting, cats and dogs living together. And now look. So have the banks turned a big corner, guy? I don't think I don't like this desk, by the way. Cats and dogs living together, guy. <laughs> well, <laughs> is that why? I don't Who's know. you I'm know? Sorry. Who? If you would be a cat or a dog? Oh, I'd dog. Like to think of myself oh, as a dog. 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 I guess. I mean, well. it's not a good question to answer <laughs> on TV. Well. You brought it up. Let's go to the marketplace. Sorry, that's my fault. I don't think they've turned the corner at all. But what I think's happened is everything got a little ahead of itself. And it's not like we haven't talked about this. We're not saying this in a vacuum. You go back to Tuesday, I think, before Memorial Day, we actually power pitched some of the banks. I think specifically it was Citi saying that, you know what, boring market, slow week, into a holiday. Market's probably going to rally. The TLT's probably gotten ahead of itself. When Citi trades at that discount to tangible book, Historically, over the last couple of years, it's been a buy. And that's pretty much what's happening. I mean, I don't think, again, the landscape has gotten better for the banks necessarily. I just think the trading landscape in the short term has. So the city have more room? Yeah, probably will overshoot to 72 like it undershot to 61. But I think the, the headwinds that they faced still exist today. There are some rays of sunshine based on what the CFO told the Barclays Financial Services Conference today, that they expect growth in the back half of the year, that there are other parts of the business that can offset some of the losses or the softness and sort of the rate-sensitive businesses. And so can you sort of extrapolate that to some of the other banks thinking maybe things aren't as bad as people thought? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that what the prices they were trading at before two days ago really reflected a lot of bad things. So I don't think more than a lot of bad, extra, too much penalties there. I think if you think about where Citibank was trading, you know, well under 10 times earnings, a 3% yield. J.P. Morgan, 10 and change times earning, a 3.5% yield. Bank of America, under 10 times earnings. I mean, that's a lot of bad news priced in. And their business models aren't all interest income, right? There's a lot of other income in there as well. So I think, you know, the market just saying, oh, the whole book of big money center banks is a giant two-year, 10-year spread. It must be going to zero. Doesn't make sense. I'm not selling them here. Um, I, I think they're still attractive. So I'll, I'll answer the question because we've had one kind of from a market positioning and technical perspective. Karen's talking fundamentals. I'll talk to you. The context of the overall market, this, this could, you can make a comparison to the first quarter of 2016 when we were worried about global growth and banks essentially got through this period where once we got this sense that if recession was off the table, banks won on, you know, arguably a very historic run for them relative to at least this cycle. Citibank's up 13% in eight days. It's up uh, close to 16% in 16 days. If you look at the X 
XLF. It's basically kept pace with the S&P despite uh, all, all of the things that have happened to banks. So the most important thing that happened today, and I, I, I hate hyperbole, May, but I will tell you, I think this is one of the most extraordinary trading days of the year that no one's talking about. Um, S&P was flat, and yet you had banks up 3%. You had XRT up 3.5%. You had transport. This is a major structural day yeah. for the and market. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's not about it. the banks. It's, right. It has nothing to do with banks, right? Yeah. It's a behavioral thing. What we know is if you look at the S&P 100, what was the best performing stock? The more beaten down you were, the better you were. Schlumberger led. You've got Simon Property. You've got things like, I mean, Heinz, which is literally down 80%. GE in the top 10. So it's, it's not a bank story, although it is a, that's part of the story because they matter the most. It's simply dead cat bounces. And dead cats do bounce. But do they really come to life? No, they're still dead. But, but I, I would say, Carter, but it was more about deflation isn't as bad as you thought. I'm not going to tell you that deflation, because I believe it's, there's some structural stuff that's left over from the crisis. But, but deflation, as it was exemplified and illustrated through bond yields around the world, um, through gold going through the roof, through everything else that was related to asset reflation going through the floor. Um, the things that rallied today are asset-based. They're, they're reflationary-based, and, and that's them, very exciting. The retail, these are retails that won't exist at some point in three, five, seven, whether it's an urban outfit or an AEO. And it's, again, it's, it's, it wasn't specific to banks. The fact that it was Kraft Heinz, it was Schlumber, it was GE, tells you it was just an unwind of okay. momentum. So there's, two, there's, two, there's two sides here on this side of the desk. Extraordinary trading day or just dead cats bouncing? Where yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, Tim makes a good, extraordinary trading day in terms of the move in yields terms. Everything that he pointed out was extraordinary in the context of what we've seen. But I tend to sort of, I, I'm, well, it should come as no surprise, I tend to agree more with Carter Worth. I do think these are bounces within the framework of things that have just been too oversold. I mean, you mentioned Simon Properties. Go back and look where it bottomed out in April 2018. Look where it recently bottomed out so you can understand the bounce. Slumberger has been left for dead. I mean, we've talked about it seemingly for a year and a half, trying, at least I have, tried to ascertain when the bottom would be unsuccessfully. We've seen moves like this before in SLB. So, again, I guess the fact that the S&P was unchanged today, bulls could say what, that's somewhat constructive. Bears can say it should have been up 25 handles on a day like today. The other flip side of what happened today was growth at any price, which had been where everyone wanted to go no matter what, terrible, complete reversals. If you look at names like CrowdStrike or Zoom, Mm -hmm. right, just absolutely getting annihilated today. So it was just a giant rotation. It was just everything that didn't work. Now let's pile into that. Everything that did work, time to bail. But the question is, is, does that continue? Exactly. I can't be in a CrowdStrike or Zoom. They're too expensive. They were too expensive two days ago, Uh even down 10%, too expensive for me. I think when momentum goes out, those kind of names have more but, downside. But but it's maybe more interesting. It's not it's not terribly surprising that a CrowdStrike and company and their their ilk are are going down maybe on a day like today or just not rallying as much. What's been interesting is that Google, Amazon, um, anything that's been defensive um, relative momentum, but actually, def- you know, they, they tend to be low momentum stocks in, in difficult times in the market are underperforming. And so um, Carter, uh, Carter's right to talk about Schlumberger. I mean, I don't think anything changed with Schlumberger no. in the last week. In fact, I think Schlumberger's got some tough times ahead of them. But, but when I look at some of the other parts of the market, including the transports that are very real companies that are not going out of business, that I, I don't think they're dead cap bounces. I'm not saying the world has gotten better in two days. Uh, I'm telling you that it, it's always about positioning. It's always about where uh, I think the market momentum is we've got an ECB meeting coming up in a few days. It's also going to, I think, help tell the tale of where global yields go, because I think that the European Union is the one that was dragging global yields down. And we know that the machines, momentum is on both sides. You have momentum down, momentum up in a, yep. in a FICO. And when it flips, it's the research, you get these levers going on both sides. But 
it doesn't usually last that long. At what point do you think, I mean, would you It would be take convinced? a lot of time uh, and a lot more of this kind of thing. Because we saw it in the EM bouncing. We saw uh-huh. it in the uh, certain ETFs. Small caps are bouncing exactly. today. You just need a lot more of it. I, I, yeah. I, I agree. Carter's right. I don't think anything can. You can't say suddenly it's, it's all good for all these things that have under, underperformed for a long time. But for the last three weeks, we've seen the DAX outperforming the S&P. Uh-huh. We've seen emerging markets outperform. So um, this isn't a one-day phenomenon. Today was a bit of an exclamation point on things that, that really suffer from deflation. All right. Our next guest says you may want to pump the brakes on the banks, especially ahead of next week's Fed meeting. Joining us now, Steve Chavarone, equity strategist and portfolio manager at Federated Investors. Steve, great to, great to see you again. Right. Um, so is it just the banks or is it all of these um, sectors that were dead cats bouncing, as Carter put it. I don't know if I'd go as far as the dead cat. I, I, I'm somewhere in between, I think, mm-hmm. Carter and Tim here. And what I mean by that is it's very enticing. When you look at the move in the banks today and you put it in the overall context, and that context says rate, rates bottomed a week ago and have moved higher. The city surprise index bounced into positive territory a week ago. And value in general has moved up. So there's an inclination to want to say, okay, this is, the, this is the move in the value cyclicals that we've been waiting for. I think you need a little bit of confirmation on that. I think you need to see what the Fed does in a week. I think they need to deliver against market expectations. I think the ECB similarly has to at least provide some, some delivering. I think this meeting's not as important as the one that, that comes in November when Christine Lagarde takes over, but move the ball forward. Um, and then I think you need the data to continue to come in strongly. If what we're talking about is a global reflation trade, because the stimulus that's been put in the system helps the economy to move in the, in the back half of the year, that's incredibly bullish. Um, and so I'm enticed by it, but I'm not willing to kind of jump all in on it just yet. So how are you, how are you positioned in the markets right now? It sounds like you're, you want to see how the data plays out. It sounds like you think, I mean, the Fed will probably cut 25, the ECB will probably deliver on something. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of in the expected realm. Yeah. The data is a little bit of a question mark at this point. So what do you do with your yeah, portfolio? We think about the market right now is really a battle between the PE and the E, right? The PE should be higher. We've taken the discount rate for stocks and we've cut it in half. The only reason why the market isn't higher is because the market's concerned about recession. And so they're worried about that E part. So I think what it really comes down to is how are earnings going to come through. And that's why trade matters. That's why Hong Kong and Brexit matters. Our view is that our base case scenario is earnings are going to be okay. They're going to be flat to slightly up. You are going to get a revaluation higher because of those lower yields. And that's where you play out over the next kind of six to 12 months. However, over the course of the next month or so, I want to see how the ECB goes. I want to see how the Fed goes. I want to see how earnings season. So when we were here earlier in the year, we were 8% overweight equities. We brought that down to 3% in the, in the kind of May-June period. And we're content to stay in that area and see how the next month or so breaks, expecting to move higher but being prepared if risks materialize. So in your experience, do you find that these value names, they bottom when the data starts to turn, or do they bottom when they get to a price that's cheap enough that people say everything bad is priced in, and I'm just going to wait it out. There can't be that much downside left. The risk-reward is appealing. I think that's what makes today so tempting. Uh, They they do tend to discount this. Um, They may be discounting the Fed next week and and delivering not just the, the, the cut that I think everyone expects, but the endorsement of further cuts to come. Um, and so that's why I, I want to see that come through, because if they disappoint, then that momentum can get snuffed out. My guess is, is you know, my hope is that the Fed delivers, but we'll see what they do. Is it a central bank story or is it is it are we making not enough? Do we not focus enough on what's going on in Hong Kong? Are there sort of these exogenous events that didn't exist six months ago that have become more in our purview now, but we're just not paying attention to? So when we came in here all bulled up in January, um, we did so because we did not foresee a recession this year. And I think you can explain 
from September of last year to today as an ebb and flowing of recession risk. We still don't see a recession in the next 12 months. And so we think that that's the, the, the central point here. Now, the market's concerned about one. So insofar as the Fed eases, that reduces those concerns. As trade tensions ease, that reduces those concerns. As we get to the third quarter earnings season, if those estimates for 2020 are okay, that will further ease concerns. So I think it's really a story about if you see a recession in the next 12 months, you need to be bearish. And if you don't, I, I think there's opportunity to the upside, particularly because yields have fallen so much and the discount rate for equities has halved. And if the carnage that we're seeing in sort of these mid-cap high flyers, tech yep. names, like mm-hmm. Coop and Okta, things down yep. 10 and 15 percent, and you're seeing it in others like Workday, if that starts to spill over into Visa, MasterCard, Microsoft, mm-hmm. which a little bit it did yep. today, do you think the market can endure that? Well, that, that's the market structure question, right? right? Because the U.S. is so much kind of growthier and, and more tech-heavy than, than other indices. I think you can certainly see the overall market move higher. You may see maybe a little bit more international relative performance. You may see small caps do a little bit better in that environment rather than the kind of existing trades. But we've seen periods over the course of the last several years where growth expectations rise, the value cyclicals run, and the market does just fine. So I think it's, I think it's capable of doing that. Steve, good to see you. Thank you. Steve Thank Schaffer, you Federated Investors. What do you think, Tim? So it's, you know, the central bank conversation had to come into that, and Steve's right to bring it up. Guy's right to em- emphasize it. It's still the number one dynamic. But when you talk about the E in earnings or the P-E ratios that Thanks he's talking much. about with lower rates that should have higher P-Es, um, the things that rallied today are things that, that largely, when I talk about, we talk about banks, um, and let's talk about transports, and let's talk about some of the other cyclicals, those are not demanding valuations. The demanding valuations are in things like Starbucks and food stocks and restaurants and, and, and even some healthcare relative to itself. So when you look at where the market can go, um, even with the recession, if recession is off the table, this rotation makes a lot of sense. And it doesn't have to have um, some kind of earnings you know, generated dynamic behind it. It just has people get back to expectations. Coming up, AT&T rallying with one big activist investor betting on the stock. We'll tell you what it means for the telecom giant. Plus, Apple gearing up for its big annual event set to unveil new phones. Is another super cycle on the way. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes. Helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of AT&T getting a boost today after activist Elliott Management revealed a more than $3 billion stake in the telecom giant, one of the firm's largest stakes on record. Elliott raising concerns around AT&T's current leadership and recent M&A, including the acquisition of Time Warner. The activist saying AT&T shares are trading at a historic discount and should reach 60 bucks a share by 2021. The stock was up more than 6% at one point in the day, right. finished the day higher, 1.5%. Yeah, well, I'm wondering if it was a little bit caught up in that reversal, mm-hmm. was in favor with the yield, and now not so. By the end of the day, up a pretty modest amount. Uh, I think that, you know, if you're a company, the activist you never want to hear calling your number is Elliot, right? But what AT&T has is they're enormous. And so $3.5 billion or whatever exactly comes out to be now is a really big stake, 
but it's not enough to force them to do anything mm-hmm. in terms of like how aggressive they've been in some of their prior things. Like when they came out on eBay, which, you know, a much, much smaller company, they were prepared to do all kinds of things. And the company knew that and pretty much caved immediately. This is a very different story. At the end of the letter, they said, you know, we would like to meet with you. I don't know if that means they've tried to meet with them before. Now mm-hmm. they're just ratcheting up the pressure just a tiny bit. As we were talking in the green room, I mean, AT&T should probably meet with them. They're a very large holder. They, you know, they're, they're, they're smart people. They've clearly done a lot of work. And, and any organization as big as AT&T, who has done the number of acquisitions that they have, must have some things that are inefficient, must right. have some fat in there that could be trimmed. Yeah. So they should meet with them, I, I think. But they talk about this is a 2021 that they could get to, you know, significantly higher numbers. And that's, well, it's not... But- you know, it's in the future, but that's a lot of room, 30 bucks. What's not obvious here is really what the Elliott strategy would be. I mean, they, they, they're critical of a conglomerate approach, which is they're piecing things together. They've assailed a bunch of transactions, um, but they haven't necessarily said, we want these assets sold off, or we want just this to be a media company and this just to be a telecommunications company. What's also interesting for people, and I, I'm long AT&T, that believe it is a sum of the parts story. So when you start to hear about an act of, it, well, it, it, there's a massive discount like to the sum of the parts. I do like it. Uh, and I do like it also because I, I think there was just a, a, a challenge to Randall Stevenson kind of staying within house and staying within a boys network that he's got to make hires to run these new companies that he's brought in. They're saying, hey, did you interview anybody from the outside? Have you really pushed for the best CEO for these new divisions? I think that's fantastic. And that alone should be enough to drive some value. I mean, the stock's been bottoming for a while and today's action is bullish. Higher high, higher low, higher close. Now, while it close on the low, it's likely to fill the gap. But here's the thing. After Apple, the second most profitable company, hard stop, is AT&T. It's still... Here and here to stay. I like it. Made a lot of investments. A concern for a long time was that their, you know, their debt, their balance sheet didn't yeah. look particularly good. And yeah. I think a lot of people were, you know, they're going to have to cut. The, I mean, we had conversations about the potential for a dividend cut. I think to a certain extent, maybe those fears have been sort of assuaged for a day or so. And I think the market move today sort of indicates that. It troubles me that it backed up today on what was four or five times normal volume. But to Carter's point, this is constructive. I mean, I don't know if it gets to 60, you know, but Tim was absolutely banging the drum at $29, $30. And you can see where it makes sense. Maybe the investments AT&T made four years ago are starting to pay dividends for him now. I think that's the bet. Is it worth a look at this point in your view? Based yeah. on Elliot's involvement? I mean, probably. I think that, um, you know, they do, they do talk about some of the things. They just want them to, to actually just focus more. Focus more on the ones that matter, right? They spent a lot of the letter going through the missteps. Um, but they haven't said anything about trying to put people on the board, anything right. like that. that may, I don't know that it comes to that. It is worth a look. For more on Elliot's stake and AT&T, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Behold the Volfefe Index. J.P. Morgan's attempt to track the impact of President Trump's tweets on interest rates. Our traders will weigh in. And Boeing shuts down testing of its new 777 due to an unexpected event. Phil LeBeau explains. Stick around. Fast Money is back right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, 
which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The countdown is on. Apple gearing up for its key annual event taking place tomorrow. Josh Lifton's in Palo Alto laying out what to expect. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, if history is any guide, the star of the show tomorrow is going to be the iPhone. And we're looking through three new iPhone models. Analysts think some of the updates could include a faster processor, improved camera system. Remember, when you look at consumer surveys, that's often an important reason people do upgrade. Maybe also some stronger waterproofing and shatter resistance. Big question, though, for investors is going to be the price, though. What does Tim Cook charge you for these new models? I caught up with Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. He's actually expecting that Apple holds these prices constant. No no real change, he thinks, from the current lineup. In addition to iPhones, we're going to be looking for wearables, right? A new watch. Analysts estimate Apple sold about 80 million watches to date. AirPods, about 50 million. In fact, if you combine wearables and services, according to Apple, you're now approaching the size of a Fortune 50 company. And speaking of services, do we get any more insight and data into those new services? It's been about six months since Apple first unveiled those services. So investors sure would like to know when it comes to Apple TV Plus, that streaming service, what is going to be the price? Reports suggested that Apple was at least considering 10 bucks a month and the availability. And Apple Arcade as well, that game streaming service, you know, I caught up with Michael Pactor of Wedbush, and he says, listen, that is a big potential opportunity. 1.5 billion people do play cell phone games, and Pactor said the way that Apple is sort of packaging these paid download games is unique. So we'll be looking for all that tomorrow. Guys, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in Palo Alto, California. Um, why do we care so much if we do care about these products since the big upgrade is next year? Well, because a refresh and, and, and upgrades even to the software, I think, give the company an opportunity just to, to, to kind of flex its wear, show its install base. Um, you know, Josh talked about the, the, the pricing. I think it'll be interesting because when you look at the, the cut in memory prices and different components, um, they get a lot more profitable. They have a lot of levers they, they can pull, especially in a trade war backdrop. But um, I think it, it really does come down to services. We've talked about this till we're blue in the face. It comes down to the blended multiple of the company, which I think it's 17 times with 11 at iPhones and 25 at services, you're a $250 stock. It's interesting. I watch, I watch all the programming during the day on, on the CNBC. Oh, clearly. <laughs> and on the halftime report from San Francisco, by the way, yes. I think it was Jason Calican, you know, you know yes. from, he said that Tim Cook should, I don't know if he said should step down or should be fired. He said one of those two things because Apple no longer innovates. I'm not necessarily think that's true, but I think to Tim's point, the strength of it has been the, the fact that they are now utilizing that install base to become more of a services company. I mean, that's the bull case. And you have to admit, over the last couple of weeks, Apple has traded remarkably well when some of the rest of that group in the FANG world has not. So maybe it does take another run at the August, I think, uh, all-time high in 2018, which was 227 or thereabouts. 
With Tier Four, I don't know how high expectations are for this meeting. They right? are not. Other ones They're have not. been nothing. much, much higher. They're nothing. nothing. And I think it sort of fits a few things. One, if they want to downplay them as themselves as a hardware company, and iPhone having been the center, right, the centerpiece of that, to have that be a little bit of uh, less prominent because everyone's waiting. Why do I buy one now and wait for 5G next year? So I, I think the expectations are low. So that is good going in. And, you know, I'm long. I, 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 the thing that makes me the most nervous about it is a more extraneous tra- tariff trade war type situation mm-hmm. that affects Apple. I'm long. I think it'll be I, they always do a great job whether or not the street will love it. I don't know. But I think it's not really the big show tomorrow. Well, Apple's big day is tomorrow. Charmaster, though, is going to take a closer look at some of the stocks. Because um, some of the stocks in the Apple universe are nearing some key resistance. So, Carter, why don't you yeah. head on over to the plasma? And, and we'll look at Apple as well. And I think, you know, Guy kind of touched on it. And it's, it's day-to-day action compared to its other mega-cap, super-cap peers, if you will, is impressive. So let's start with the semis because this is a very sort of, uh, well, it's a leading indicator in many ways. It's a beta trade. It's a risk-on trade. And what we know is that the semiconductor index, and I'm going to try to zoom in here a bit, it actually made a slight new high, right? It, it, it peaked and made a slight new high and then has reapproached that level. But what's not happened is relative performance. The S&P was never able to confirm that. And so critical here is do we or don't we break out? And you're going to obviously make a bet or not. And a lot of people say it's going to be a triple top, and some people will call for the breakout. I think the relative underperformance is the tell that something's not quite as good as it would appear. So if I were to switch the screen, I would actually draw it this way. And I think ultimately semis don't make the new high and they fail. So let's, uh, let's talk about Apple. Apple, on the other hand, its day-to-day relative performance is quite good, and I think the setup uh, among many ways is as follows that you're into this very tight, and we, we, we pushed above this and backed away. We did get above it. We did get above it. Here's the zoom. You can see that we're, we're just starting to break above, and my bet is that we are going to approach the highs. And Guy, you were referring to that, uh, exactly that. Now, the most sort of worrisome thing of all within uh, is the unwind in key idiosyncratic growth names. Here is the IGV. It's a software and other tech ETF. And what I would just point out is this is the June low, market low, of course, and a low. And we're nowhere near that low, and yet we are making new relative lows to the market. And you saw the action today, whether it's rotation or whatnot, but you're losing names like Coop and Okta. You're losing Workday. You're losing Salesforce.com. If it, if and as it spills over to things like Microsoft, it is not good. So, you know, before you come back over, Carter, because Carter is going is to come given? over. Is he going to come is back? Yeah. Well, he does occupy a seat as a trader on the desk yeah, today. Yeah, but... Um, uh, when you're asking Steve Chavarone, I, I almost felt like it was a leading question when you're asking him, you know, if, if you lose these names in tech, can the markets go higher? What's, well, what's your thinking? My, my, my guess is that it cannot, meaning because okay. so much cap, it's a musical chairs story, right? So much money, top five stocks, more than the bottom 250. And also, we've already had a substantial bounce. The BKX is up. Uh, 10, 11 percent. Things like certain retailers, Simon Property, so that we've already expended a lot of energy in the bounce. And uh, there's just too much money in the Visa Microsoft. If they really unwind like the other names that have, I don't see how the market holds up on that. 
All right, Carter, come back on over. So, so he comes back over. Now he can come back and then over. And we can chat about it. Yes. Exactly. We're kind of almost delayed. Nobody has to bring the chair over. He has a chair already. Chair now he's back. Yeah. He's back. Okay. So, I mean, I tend, to, I tend to sort of line up in the CBW way of thinking, which is, is, is that's what makes markets. And at a certain point, in a lot of these names, I think valuation does matter. For example, a name like Texas Instruments, which has traded remarkably well, Around now, I believe it's all-time highs, trading close to 22 times or so forward earnings with maybe 8.5%, 9% EPS growth. At a certain point, either got to get a deal done with the Chinese or these stocks are too expensive. I don't think there's going to be a deal done, so by default, these stocks are too expensive. Um, the resistance in semiconductors and the good chart in Apple sort of lines up with the fundamental theory that Apple is going to squeeze its suppliers in order to survive the tariffs and the trade war, right? They, they, they certainly can, and, and they, have, they have a lot of strength. They're kind of like the Walmart of the retail world. Um, I, I agree with everything Carter said also in terms of software. What you've seen is those multiples not doing so well. Um, but on the semi side, think about what the semis have done in the middle of a trade war, in the middle of cyclicality that says global recession. I, I think it's nothing short of extraordinary. And, and if you take the December 24th low, um, they've actually outperformed the S&P by 17%. You can pick any dots you want anywhere in the world. But, but much maligned semis are actually up 7% from the June 2018 high. And that, to me, is, is still kicking along. Well, I sort of look at that. I don't know. I don't care if the market can go up. I care if what I own goes up. Can, uh, goes up, That's right? Good. So I still like what I own. At times it's in favor, times it's out of favor. But I feel like, say it over and over, volatility index here, you got to own protection. There's so much potential volatility in the world. It was up a tiny bit today. Um, I, I think on a day, you know, I, I think there's more room for the VIX to run higher for sure. All right, coming up, making volatility, speaking of which, great again. Mm. The new Ooh. index on the street that could help you trade Trump's tweets. The details ahead, plus more trouble for Boeing. We'll tell you what sent the stock into more headwinds today. Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a big interview coming your way tomorrow morning. White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro will be on with the Squawk Box team. Be sure to catch that interview tomorrow, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. And sticking with the White House, it is finally here, an index to track President Trump's tweets. It's Ooh. called the Volfefe Index, named after Trump's infamous <laughs> Kofefe tweet. And J.P. Morgan put it together in an attempt to quantify the impact of the president's tweets in the market. The index takes a look at the movement in applied rate volatility for the two- and five-year treasuries. Just a few days ago, Bank of America put out a note saying days in which Trump tweets frequently, the market moves lower. While the days he tweets less, the market usually sees positive returns. So what do you make of this? Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting that somebody's finally done it. I would say that J.P. Morgan, respectfully, is probably top ticked in terms of now where we are in the cycle of mm-hmm. President Trump's tweets. But I'd also say this. If I were selling volatility, which I agree with Karen, I would be buying market vol and selling Fefe or vol Fefe vol, because I do think we're at a point of diminishing, diminishing marginal returns in terms of what the president tweets and the movements of the market. You'd buy I'd buy volatility. market vol. I would sell quite a pear trade. That's a pear yeah. trade. Yeah. It is. It's hard to put on, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure someone will make you a market yeah. net. Just I agree with Guy. I think the uh, the Trump tweeting we, oh, we got, we're doing making great progress on China is, is has diminishing returns. I think, you know, here by order, that really packed a punch. <laughs> that, that was the uh, most significant one, I think. But 
Uh, it's well, ridiculous Volfe- we even have to talk about this, but right. that's how we... Consistent with the, the analysis of Volfefe, um, <laughs> if you think about where we were on 150 S&P points spread basically for 25 sessions in the middle of what was a very volatile period, it tells you you had this smoothing effect in terms of vol. The, to me, it's all about... You want, you want, you, you want Fed Fefe. Um, it's all to me about the Fed. It's all to me what central banks are doing, and I'll, I'll track that index because that's the one that I think probably people have not priced in. I think there's too much Fed priced in. Fed, 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 I mean, Fed funds futures would be obvious, or could it just be the 10-year yield? 10-year yield. Um, or the I think, I think yield, gold, maybe. I think gold prices, I mean, it, uh-huh. you know, we've had... You know, we had this blow-off top in gold. Maybe it wasn't a blow-off top because I'm, I'm not sure we're out of the woods in any way. But I, I do think these are the correlated assets to what has been this deflation story. I, mean, I don't think it's surprising that the outcome was the more tweets, more likely down in the sense that, not about your politics, most of the stuff is somewhat unconventional, right, and uh, uh, outside the typical behavior. And so whether you like him or not, most of that stuff typically works people up. And when people get worked up, it's more likely to go down than up. That's exactly what they concluded. You know, it's interesting. J.P. Morgan said that uh, President Trump has tweeted an average of 10 tweets per day since the start of 2016. He has tweeted 10,000 tweets um, since the inauguration in, in 2017. But I do, I do wish, to you guys' points, that they had segmented the impact, or Bank of America, when they did, did the impact on the market, segmented before versus, let's say, this year. Right, because markets are becoming increasingly in your word. Jinx. I knew you were going to use that word. I'm in your head. I know you don't like it when I'm there, but I agree. I do think, (laughs) to my earlier point, I think he becomes less and his tweets make less and less impact on the market, which, by the way, is probably a good thing. To Karen's earlier Uh point, I mean, that tweet he put out on that Friday about, you know, I hereby announce, I mean, that should have been somewhat catastrophic. It lasted basically a trade in a day and a half. If you believe that the information you're getting is, is accurate, then, then overall more information is very good for market efficiency. So if you think about where markets are relative to where they were 25 years ago, there, there was such inform, inefficient information flow that you actually had more volatile markets. And in fact, the VIX, the prevailing VIX uh, in 20 years ago was probably 22, 23 percent, not because the world was a bad place, but because we didn't have people constantly tweeting. We didn't have the Federal Reserve, whose mandate seems to have been changed to, hey, we have to make sure the market knows everything that's on our mind at all times of the day. And so ultimately, this should be vol dampening anyway, um, just not sure we're getting all the right information. Well, I don't know if it's vol. I think uncertainty, I mean, and his, you know, his mercurial Right. Moods. That's that creates uncertainty. Just to your point that markets don't like uncertainty and, you know, a steadier cash stream will trade much better than a very bumpy one that might be higher overall. Up next, Boeing facing some turbulence after failing to pass a key test for one of its newest aircraft models. We'll break down all the details and what it could mean for the stock. Plus, payment stocks under pressure today and options traders are betting the sell-off has only just begun for one name in the space. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit, nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's Blockbuster event. You will come away with ideas that you can put to work immediately. Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence, Tox Economy and Trade War Impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. More trouble brewing for Boeing today after its newest aircraft model failed to pass a key stress test. Let's get to Phil LeBeau. He's got all the details. Hey, Phil. Melissa, this involves the 777X. That is Boeing's next commercial airplane. It's a wide body scheduled for first delivery at the end of next year. Well, during a maximum load test on the ground, not in flight, the cargo door blew out. And this is a test that's required by the FAA before certification. The 777X, by the way, as I mentioned, it's in development still. And originally, they were hoping to do first flight in 2019. That's already been pushed back until early next year. By the way, Boeing says the schedule has not changed when it comes to the 777X in terms of first flight early next year, first delivery by the end of next year. As you take a look at shares of Boeing, I know the stock was down a little bit today. But keep in mind, Melissa... This is a plane that's still in development. I'm not sure the stock was down because of this news. I think this is more a case of this news, along with what's going on with the 737 MAX. It just raises more questions about Boeing than anything else. But again, we should stress, it's a plane in development. This was the maximum load test. That's what these tests are designed to do, to push the plane well beyond the limits of what they would see during regular commercial service. Would we normally, Phil, hear about uh, a setback like this for a plane in development in other normal, more, more normal circumstances? We may or may not. I can tell you that you might hear about it, especially if you're, quote-unquote, an <laughs> ab geek actively following uh, the development of an airplane. But a lot of people wouldn't pay attention to it. But because it's Boeing and because they're under the yep. microscope right now, every little thing gets reported. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau joining us from Vermont. It's always in these mysterious locations. Phil LeBeau. Um, yeah. I'm so, like, like, sort of like Mike Coe, yeah. but not nearly as... <laughs> well, Mike Coe's obvious where he is. Yeah, San Francisco, excellent. the Chinese Usually, restaurant. You know, it's actually easy Chinese yeah, restaurant. Yeah. Um, but for Bo- you know, Phil makes a good point here. We may not be talking about this had it not been for the Max. But now everything... Is under the microscope, exactly. which, is, which, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I don't think the news in and of itself is a bad thing. It's probably right. an encouraging thing. In terms of the stock, everything went down, I think it was late February, early March. Stock traded down to 365 or so on tremendous volume. I thought, said it then, it would be done month, month and a half. We'd be talking about a $420 stock again. I was wrong. It's lasted a lot longer than I thought. But now you have the added pressure of the situation with the Chinese. If, you know, that doesn't seem anywhere closer than we were six or seven months ago. So Boeing's got sort of this double whammy. I think you have to, at this point, wait to earnings. You've, if you've waited this long, why not wait until October 25th and see what they have to say? How does the stock look well, at this point? You know, it's what we were talking about fallow the other day. It's yes, that, fallow. That's, that's a great right. word. That's right. It's what this is. Sometimes stocks don't have to move. Sometimes they're not meant to move. It's priced really where it belongs. That's it. Do you think it's fallow, Tim? I, I, I'm not sure how we define fallow, but um, I, I think it's an interesting level on the stock. I think it's an interesting valuation. It's a very interesting free cash flow yield. I would be more concerned if they really, truly cut production lines and actually had some structural changes to uh, both the size of the company and the ability to get back in. But the, these delays here, to me, in the short run are still not material. Uh, the free cash flow yields are extraordinary. I like it at these levels. Is this an example of... Any little headline is going to be a headwind for an investor. I get, actually, I don't know. This is just a one percent move, right? Or a little yeah. bit, a little bit more than that um, on a day. I don't know if it would have so been fallow? up or down today. Yeah, fallow? I think kind of fallow. Kind of fallow. Yeah, I didn't know that I felt that, but now knowing what it means relative to a stock, yeah, I think so. I think it's a great expression. <laughs> Carter Worth brings, brings, It's amazing what he brings. What he brings to the, to the table. table. Fantastic. Coming up, payment stocks getting pummeled today. Options traders are betting one name in the space is gearing up for even more pain ahead. We'll break down all the action. 
Boss, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is talking to the Zoom CEO. That stock has been a big winner since its IPO. That full interview coming up. Mad Money, top of the hour. We're live with the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Payment stocks getting hit today, and options traders are betting that one of these names is way past due. Brian Sutland's at the CME to break it down. Hey, Brian. Hey, yeah. Uh, payment stocks, you look at Visa and MasterCard. As the market started to roll over, Visa was one of these names. It was upgraded in the morning by Citigroup, and then all of a sudden option volume trading two times average daily volume started to explode. The market started to roll over, and what we saw were buyers of the September 180 put. These are puts that are expiring on Friday, and they traded for about an average price of about $1.38, basically saying, hey, the stock by the Friday could hit 178 to the downside here. And when you take a look at it, as the market started selling off lower here, stocks like Visa, MasterCard started selling off harder. These put traders basically betting that there's more downside here, maybe some profit taking. I mean, when you look at the gross stocks over the last sort of few weeks here, enormous PEs, a stock like Visa only paying about a half a percent dividend yield, not that exciting there. But when you took at valuations and stock markets trading near all-time highs, maybe it's time to just take some profits in names like some of the growth names that got hit today. All right, Brian. Thank you, Brian Sutland, joining us from the CME with the options action. Um, we're, we're talking about this rotation. Carter, does this stock look vulnerable to you? I think so. So, again, it, it's a process. Think about you have a lot of stocks in a 45-degree ascent, and then you start to lose one. You lose another, meaning they actually start to roll. But others persist. For instance, Starbucks is still staying firm. And then you start to see cracks in those that have persisted. And that's what we're starting to see. We saw it in things like market access in FICO. We saw it a little bit in McDonald's. We saw it in AMT. So the last holdouts, the money gets nervous. And ultimately, the big ones, the biggest ones, it's Visa, it's, it's Microsoft, it's MasterCard. Why can't they give back? Stocks have a way of giving back after having great run-ups. Right. But if you're a believer that growth is still the key to this market, isn't that where you want to be? And it's been where you've want to be, right. specifically Visa MasterCard. I think Visa trades close to 30 times next year's MasterCard. Isn't that their thing, everywhere you want to be? Is it? Maybe. Did I just, did Their that logo? just sort of extend it in a shed? Wow. Well, good that for me, advertising right? really works. <laughs> I don't think it does. That's another show. And MasterCard 31 times. At a certain point, valuation matters. But go back and do a little homework and see, you know, we've seen moves to the downside a month or so prior to earnings Mm -hmm. in a lot of these names. People get a little jittery. They say maybe it's too expensive. Again, I'll say, you know, I think Visa reports on Halloween thereabouts. There's going to be an opportunity to buy this stock cheaper. But I think it's a name you want to own in the earnings to the end of next month. I'm long MasterCard. I've been long a long time. Normally something in the, you know, mid-30s P.E., doesn't really thrill me, um, but I mean, their growth is just continues to be there. They execute. They have a little less uh, international exposure. For the weaker, the stronger dollar is a little better for Mastercard. A little less worse mm-hmm. for Mastercard than Visa. So two things. One related to the early part of the show. This, I think we've said this here too, that this this stock, Visa and Mastercard, fit absolutely in that low momentum um, kind of defensive growth stocks that that didn't perform today and won't perform if you believe there's a structural rotation going on in the market. Um, Not that this is material for Apple, but one of the drivers for Apple that people want to talk to is at some point Apple Pay moves the needle. Well, they just announced in their last quarter that they're doing a billion transactions a month, which is twice where they were year over year. And a few years back, they were doing that over a quarter. So to the extent, so bringing it back to Apple in terms of places where they should be able to compete. And I think there's more pressure on in electronic payments on PayPal, Visa and MasterCard from non-income and Apple is one of them. All right. For more options action, check out the full show this Friday. 
5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Wendy's is waking up and smelling the coffee. We'll tell you why shares are taking a big dip in the after-hour session. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Wendy's shares taking a hit in the after hours. After the company announced it is getting in on the breakfast game, the fast food chain will expand breakfast offerings at all U.S. locations next year. Wendy's plans to hire roughly 20,000 people for this launch. The company says the expansion could reduce its 2019 EPS estimates by 6.5%. It will give more uh, detailed guidance uh, in, in a matter of weeks at this point. But this reaction is interesting because McDonald's and all-day breakfast and, and bringing this in, it, it, it was a massive driver for the stock. Yeah. Um, so while I don't know what I'd be going to Wendy's to order, but um, I, I do think that this is ultimately uh, about these companies trying to deliver full clock using the same synergies and essentially the economies of scale they already have. Once upon a time, this would have looked at investing in, in a growth area of the market, trying to get people into the restaurant at other times of day, a positive thing. And yet here we are down in the after hours. You know, how about the fact that Wendy's is just expensive and it's come a long way, as have so many of the restaurants. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe it's not the news. Maybe the fact is it's up 30 percent in the last four weeks. It's a little hot. It hasn't been fallow. Yes, not at all. It hasn't been you know, fallow. I, that's an ex- I actually looked that word up on the Internet yes. during the break. It's fancy. Carter how do you do on Wendy's um, chicken sandwich? On the taste they test. did a we terrible are... job, but then, but then I did a little mea culpa. I said, you know, it, it appears as though you didn't get the right one. We ordered yeah, from the, the dollar, dollar menu, menu which, which isn't going to be a very good sandwich. It was which a feeble sandwich. It's not Wendy's fault. So from feeble to fallow, yeah. From feeble to foul mm-hmm. and to expensive, which uh-huh. at 29 times. Listen, if you like Wendy's here, you got to like McDonald's because mm-hmm. I'm more inclined to get myself an egg McMuffin than I am a. A Wendy's, you know, sausage sandwich in the morning. <laughs> Gosh, I hope that's not what they're hiring 20,000 people to launch. <laughs> Time for the sausage. final trade, Carter. I think software has risks, so IGV to the downside. Tim. Boeing, I, I think despite these concerns today, we talked about it, probably not the headline that really is the fundamental story for this stock. It's certainly about 737 max and legal. Karen? Yes. Uh, so AT&T, you have a chance to get in right behind an activist investor who probably doesn't do anything super aggressive, but they do good work. So I like AT&T right here. It's only up a percent and a half of a day. Key. The movement Blackstone issue, we brought it up, has been remarkable. Not talked enough about it, I don't think, but something's clearly going on. BX. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.